Let us pray. Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, this morning we're continuing our message series called More Power to You. We're in part three. And this morning we want to take a look at building a bigger faith. This is a series that is on faith. It is about tapping into faith's full potential. As I was thinking about where we've been so far, I reminded that faith is the key to unlocking God's power in your life. That faith is the key to open the door to God's blessings in your life. We've also talked about how faith is not a feeling. It's not some quiver down in your liver. It's not something that comes and goes. But faith, rather, is something you decide. Faith is something you do. Faith is something that you express with corresponding actions, doing things that are consistent with what you're expecting God to do. So, friends, if you can't stir up emotions that feel like great faith, don't worry about it, because regardless of how you feel, you can choose to do two things. These are two things we've talked about two weeks in a row, but I'm going to mention them again. You can choose to think with an attitude of expectancy. I'll ask you again, what are you believing God to do in your life? I've shared for a couple of weeks, I'm expecting God to heal me fully and completely. I'm believing God will do that. I'm trusting in God. I fully expect it. The second thing I can do is to choose to follow through with some corresponding actions. Well, my corresponding actions are to listen to my doctor, to take the medication I've been given, to follow the instructions that he gives me, to pray, to take care of myself. What are you doing? What are the corresponding actions that you're taking right now that match up with what you're expecting or believing God to do. Now, that said, today we're going to talk about how to build your faith, how you can go from being kind of a little 98-pound faith weakling into being a strong, brawny, muscle-adorned, powerful person of faith. And this morning I want to share with you some ways that will make it easier for you to think the kind of thoughts that are consistent with great faith and to make it a whole lot easier to take those steps of faith or do those kinds of actions that are also consistent with great faith. And these things will also help you feel better about everything that's going on in your life. Now, personally, when I consistently walk in faith, I always feel better. Now, I'm going to say that in spite of the fact that feelings don't have anything to do with it. But when I'm consistently walking in faith, there's a little spring in my step. When I'm consistently walking in faith, problems don't slow me down as much. When I'm consistently walking in faith, criticism doesn't affect me near so much. When I'm consistently walking in faith, challenges don't intimidate me as much. When I'm walking in faith, consistently thinking things that God wants me to think, consistently doing the things that God wants me to do, 
I just plain feel better. And I'm willing to bet that the same is true for you. Now again, let me say it. We don't live by our feelings, but it sure is nice when we feel good, isn't it? So if your life lately has seemed to be like an emotional roller coaster, and believe me, we all get on the ride from time to time, that emotional roller coaster, if your life seems to be full of ups or downs, or even worse, if the ups have seemed to have gone away and the downs seem to be there more consistently, then I am glad that you are here today because I think this message from God's Word will help. Now, since this series began, I've been emphasizing one truth over and over. You'll see it up on the screen next. It's this. Walking in faith means consistently thinking the right kinds of thoughts and consistently taking the right kinds of actions. That's where we've been so far. This opens the door to God doing great things in our lives. Now, the key word, I underlined it for you in case you'd miss it, is consistently. It brings us to today's message. There are a lot of people I know who say, I know I need to think what is right. I know I need to do what is right. It's just difficult for me to get into that habit. So what are the right thoughts I ought to be thinking? What are the right things I ought to be doing? Now, this is a really good question because when I talk about having an attitude of expectancy, I'm not talking about having some mere little positive thinking sort of thing. I'm talking about thinking the kind of thoughts that God wants you to think. Seeing the world the way God sees this world, perceiving your situation in the light of his truth, the word of God. Now, I know that there are a lot of people, there may be some of you here today, who try to have a positive mental attitude that's based on nothing stronger than your own wishy-washy worldview. Sad to say, there are way too many people who populate the pews in America who live by a wishy-washy worldview. They absolutely know what they believe, but they absolutely positively don't know what the Bible says about the subject. These are, the, these are the kind of wishy-washy people who think, if I have a strong enough faith, I won't have any problems anymore. Well, you know the Greek and the Hebrew for that, don't you? Hogwash, baloney. I mean, nothing could be further from the truth. Now, I've also seen a lot of people who take their Bible and they zero in on one verse of Scripture. They take it completely out of context. They use it to define faith in a way that is completely inconsistent with the rest of God's word, what the Bible teaches. For example, let me give you an example. Jesus in Matthew 21, verse 22, says this. If you believe, you will receive whatever you asked for in prayer. You get that? That's what Jesus says. If you believe you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now, I've heard people apply that Bible verse in some crazy ways that Jesus never, ever meant for it to be used. I'll give you an example. I, I remember hearing about a couple who tried to use this verse to get out of buying gasoline. 
Now understand, when I heard this story, gas was about 80 cents a gallon, and today it's over two and a quarter, so maybe it's worth trying again. No, not really. But here's what happened. They had been to some sort of a church seminar, some seminar on faith, and they heard this absolutely thrilling testimony about an airline pilot who, in the midst of a terrible storm, lost all radio contact with the tower, and he ran out of gas. Well, the first Bible passage that came to his mind was Matthew 21, verse 22. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. And so he just claimed that verse, and somehow God miraculously allowed that plane to continue flying until he was able to make a safe landing. And to that we just say, wow, isn't God good? God did a great miracle. That's a wonderful story. Now, this couple heard that story at the conference, and they said, well, if God can do it for an airline pilot, he can do it for us as well. So they started home from the conference that day and decided not to fill their car with gas. Now, they had plenty of money to buy gas. They passed all sorts of gas stations along the way. But as they went by them, they kept saying, we are believing God to make our car run without gas. Now, they were out in the middle of somewhere, you know, like between Fort Worth and Lubbock, Texas, and the needle dropped below the E. The engine began to sputter. They coasted to a stop, and they repeatedly tried to start that car, and eventually the battery drained, and so did their spirits. They were absolutely crushed because Matthew 21, verse 22, did not work for them. But friends, clearly, that Bible passage, that's not how this promise was intended to be applied. And I, I got news for it. It's not just well-meaning believers who get this wrong. There are also many critics of Christianity who will take some faith promises and use them to prove that prayer doesn't work. For example, uh, a, a critic says, well, Jesus said, whatever you ask for, you'll receive. So why don't you ask that God will heal all the sick people and give you a million dollars or let your car run without gasoline? Now, I want to just address that just for a moment. Uh, not just for a sincere... Um, believers who sometimes misapply a promise, but also for critics who distort them. It's really pretty simple, actually. Every promise in the Bible, and there are over 7,000 of them, but every one of those 7,000 plus promises, every commandment that's within the confines of this scripture must be read not only in the context of that passage, but also needs to be read within the context of the entire teaching of the whole Bible and ought to be read with a certain amount of maturity. Let me give you an example. In December, December the 18th, actually, our grandson, Joshua, will turn 21 years of age. Let's say that I pick up the phone and I call him and I say, Hey, Joshy boy. On your 21st birthday, I want to take you out for dinner. And Josh says, that's great, Grandpa. Where? And I say, wherever you want to go, we'll go. You just name the time and the place. Now, if my grandson wants to be irrational about that, he could say, Grandpa, 
That is a bold and unconditional promise. Therefore, I've decided I want to eat at the office depot in Des Moines, Idaho in one hour. Now, if I say, hey, buddy boy, that's not going to happen, he might come back with, hey, wait a minute, Grandpa. You said we'd eat wherever I want. I'm trusting in your promise. Or if he wanted to be really cynical about it, he could say, aha, aha, I knew it. This proves, Grandpa, that you're a liar and that you don't even exist. Now, the problem with this hypothetical situation isn't in my promise. It's in the way that my grandson distorted my promise to make a foolish request. Now, let me ask you, what was wrong with his request? Well, number one, Office Depot doesn't serve food. Number two, Des Moines is in Iowa, not Idaho. That's just for some of you who thought I misspoke before. And third, we live in Texas, and we can't get to Iowa or Idaho in one hour. Fortunately, though, when I say to Josh, we'll eat wherever you want, my grandson is going to be able to kind of contextualize the promise. So rather than taking a simple offer for a meal and stretching it way beyond reality, he's going to choose some reasonable place like Waffle House in Bedford. Although when I told my daughter that story the other day, she said, you say that to Josh, you'll be going to JR's Steakhouse. I have a feeling that's going to cost me a little bit more than smothered and covered at Waffle House. <laughs> the friends, all I'm really saying is this. The promises of Scripture are already so powerful. The promises in God's Word are already so life-changing that it doesn't make any sense at all to try to make them say things that they really don't say or try to use them in ways that they weren't meant to be used. So taken in context, applied with spiritual maturity, these promises can provide you with the life of your dreams. Now, here's the question. How do you know how to apply the promises in God's Word? I mean, for example, how do you know how to apply the promise where Jesus said, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer? How do you know the difference between a foolish request and one that's asked in genuine faith? In other words, how do you develop the right kind of faith? Well, on the screen you're going to see the answer. It comes from our reading today in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Paul tells us, Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. In other words, if you want to develop faith, you need to listen to the message of Jesus Christ through his word. See, the more you hear his word, the stronger your faith becomes. You know, it's amazing to me how many people call themselves Christians, but have never really been in this book at all. It's amazing to me how many people call themselves Christians who only hear the word for about one hour a week on a Sunday morning. It's no wonder that you start running on empty. It's no wonder that you always are kind of running at a low ebb. It's no wonder that your faith is, seems kind of weak and small. 
See, the more you're in the Word, the stronger your faith becomes. People who are strong in faith, guess what? They ask for great things. People who are strong in faith know when a request is right or wrong. And as their faith grows, guess what? So does their wisdom and so does their discernment. As faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ, the more you hear the word, the stronger your faith becomes. Now, what does it mean to hear the word of Christ? Well, I'm going to give you very quickly five areas in which you can hear the word of Christ, and I'm going to promise you, in fact, I will guarantee you that if you saturate yourself with God's word, at least four things are going to happen to you. One, your faith is going to grow. You're going to grow in wisdom and discernment. I mean, another thing is going to happen for sure. You're going to learn what God wants you to think and what God wants you to do. You're going to develop maturity as a believer. You're not going to be some you know, weak little wimpy Christian, but you're going to be a strong, powerful one, and you're going to experience God's power in your life. So here we go. Five areas you can hear the Word of God. You see the first one. This ought to be a no-brainer for a believer. Reading the Bible. Now, I'm going to take it a step further. It's not just reading the Bible, but it's studying your Bible. Now, does anybody know the difference between reading your Bible and studying your Bible? It's called a pencil. It's taking notes. It's stopping and thinking about it. But reading your Bible goes an awful long way. I mean, I'd strongly encourage you, if you're not already doing it, add scripture reading to your daily routine. And of course, it should go without saying, the more, the better. Now, I always find that there are a lot of people who say, I don't know where to start. Well, how about at the beginning? Or, I don't have enough time. Ask yourself, if you've ever said, I don't have enough time, do you have enough time to watch another episode of NCIS? Do you have another half hour to watch As the Stomach Turns or whatever those other soap operas are called? Do you have a half hour just to sit there and do nothing but have another beer? You know, just add some time. It doesn't make a difference whether it's five minutes or ten minutes or thirty minutes or an hour. Tune into reading God's Word. Read a psalm. Uh, read a parable. Read two or three verses from one of the epistles. Nancy and I had lunch uh, um, Thursday with Becky Cameron, who works in the Christ for India office, and she's a part of a small group where they're reading the Bible, and they got their whole group together on one Saturday morning and read the book of Psalms out loud. They just kind of laid it out, just took turns, kept reading one Psalm after the other. What, what did they say, Nancy? It took about four hours to do it. What a wonderful activity. Maybe we should do that. You know, next Saturday, 9 to noon, we're just going to get together and read the Psalms. Wouldn't that be great? You'd probably go, wow, I've never heard that one before. See, God honors every minute you spend in the Scriptures. When you read the Bible, you hear the Word of Christ. In fact, I'm going to lay out a challenge to you. When you leave today, I want to challenge every man, woman, and child, everybody who can read, to join with me in a challenge, and that is to read through the entire Bible in the next 90 days. If you are willing to set aside 30 minutes a day for the next 90 days, and by the way, there are a couple of grace days built in, August, September, October, by the time November rolls around, you will have read the entire Bible. Now, don't just pick this up and go, I can't do that. 
I'm just saying, it's a challenge I want to lay in front of you to join me in saying, we're going to read it in 90 days. I'm saying that in spite of the fact that every year I follow a different system to go through it. And I'm, I, I'm about halfway through already. But I, I'll start again if you'll join me. You can check it off right there. When you leave today, the usher will be happy to give you one of these sheets. It just means that if you start up tomorrow or even this afternoon, you know, rather than spending your afternoon reading the Texarkana Gazette, You can read Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis 16, verse 16. You probably learn more. Okay, that's one way. Here's the second way to hear. It's listening or hearing sermons. And I probably should have used the word listening. Hearing them is one thing. Listening is something else. Now, you probably say, wow, I wonder where he's at. I think I was preaching someplace else. That's the only picture I could find. Here's my promise to you, though, friends. When I preach, I do my very best to encourage you in your faith, to help you think the right things, to do the right things, to point you to Jesus, to point you to the cross. But I'm going to be the very first person to admit to you that the sermons you get here are not enough. They're not enough. Uh, One of the great advantages of technology today is we have available to us a lot of ways that we can hear from a variety of preachers and teachers. Now, I'm going to warn you, you need to listen with wisdom and discernment. Keep your Bibles close. Nothing wrong with being a Berean and checking out what you hear. I mean, hardly a day goes by that I don't listen to somebody else preach a sermon or teach something. It's not unusual for me to get up in the morning while Nancy's doing her own Bible study that she's also listening to somebody teach on television. Uh, I know that she sometimes listens to the kids' pastor on television before she ever shows up here at First Lutheran on Sunday morning. See, when you hear messages from a variety of different speakers, you begin to hear the word of Christ again within the context of what it is that they're teaching. And I find that I hear God speaking to me about sins I need to confess and promises I need to claim and actions I need to take. So I just strongly encourage you, with some wisdom and with some discernment, Find a couple of other teachers. In fact, online right now at flctexas.com, our church website, you can do daily Bible study. You can go find it right on there. And every day you can listen to Dr. Harry Went teach through scriptures, the lessons that are assigned for each and every week of the church year. Here's the third way you can hear. And that's by listening to Christian music. Now, I said this to somebody one time. Listen to Christian music, and they said, Oh, man, I don't think I can stand to listen to hymns all week long. I said, for heaven's sakes, that's what you want to sing in church on Sunday. Oh, I couldn't do it all week. Well, I'm not talking about, you know, finding something where you're going to play a mighty fortress is your God over and over again. Christian music is Christian music. I mean, one of the things I appreciate about contemporary praise and worship music is its use of scripture. I find it uplifting and empowering. This morning, the very first thing when I got to my house, I turned on my radio, I tuned in K-Love. It's a commercial-free Christian radio station. And I, I just tell you that, you know, find some Christian music that you can listen to, something that speaks your heart language. I don't care whether it's Bach or rock. It's another way to hear. Here's number four, and that is to listen or talk to Christian friends. Now, We've all got friends, that's for sure. But I want to ask you, how many Christian friends do you have? Now, I'm not talking about people who belong to church, but how many 
Christian friends do you have? Now, I've got a lot of friends. I've got a lot of people who go to church. I have some friends who are going to tell me whatever it is that they think I want to hear. I've got some friends who are going to tell me something negative no matter what we're talking about. These people, my grandpa used to say, must have been sucking the duck because they're always down in the mouth. You'll have to think about that for a while. There are some friends who are not going to talk about anything other than themselves. And I have some friends who think that listening is what you do until it's your turn to talk again. But one of the great things in life is having an honest-to-goodness Christian friend. I asked this question in Bible class this morning. Would a Christian friend listen to you badmouth your husband or your wife? I think a Christian friend might take you to task for demeaning a spouse. You know, you just think about anything. Would your Christian friend say, hey, we need to get together and catch up on church gossip? Would a Christian friend over lunch on Sunday say, rather than order off here, let's have roast pastor instead? Would they allow that? I, I think not. But they have good Christian friends who, when you talk to them, speak to you in, with wisdom and compassion and honesty. People who will talk to you about what God is doing in their life. People who will talk to you about what God is doing in their family or in their church. People who will encourage you to stay faithful. People who will encourage you to put the best construction on everything. People who will challenge you to be better. People who will tell you, you know better than that. Cut it out already. I've got a friend like that. You know something, every time I walk away from conversations like that, I always feel a little bit stronger than I did before. The last thing I need to do is hang around with somebody who will suck all the joy out of my life. And believe me, folks, the world is full of joy suckers. And sadly, they find their way into church. They could suck the joy out of you from a hundred yards off. What you need are Christian friends. Identify that kind of person and listen to what they say because often that's the way God will speak to you. Here's the fifth way I want to suggest, and that's just speak your own words. You know, practice speaking the words of Jesus. I mean, instead of saying, oh, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen, try saying, I believe God is about to do something special in my life. Or I... I'm waiting now to see what God can, can do with this. In a men's Bible study I attended yesterday morning with my son, one guy said, I'm knee-deep in trouble, but I'm counting it all joy because now God and I are working together on a project. I mean, instead of talking to everybody else about the bad news in your life and the bad news in their life, why not talk about the good news and the positive things that God is doing? Talk about possibilities. Talk about encouragement. Talk about hope. Talk about faith. I mean, you'd be surprised at how much your own words can encourage you and help grow you in your Christian faith. What's that passage again say from Romans 10:17? Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through what? The words of Christ. The more you saturate yourself with his words, friends, the more you get in the habit 
of thinking and doing what is consistent with the words of Christ. The more wisdom and discernment you develop, the more your faith grows. The more emboldened you're, to believe, you're going to be to believe God to do great things. And the more you see him at work in your life, and the more he begins to change you from the inside out. May God grant us this blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.